This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. New York's fan, Sports Radio 22 here on this Monday evening. It's JJ Challenge Stremsky. We're keeping you company right here on the fan. And I hope this guy survived digging out. I don't know if he's a snowballer guy. I don't know if he's an old-fashioned shovel guy or just tried to, you know, maybe find, you know, an able body like 14 or 15-year-old who's looking to make a couple extra bucks. But to help us talk a little hot still baseball, warm it up a little bit with my main man from MLB.com, the MLB Network. The great Mark Feinstein. What's happening, Mark? How you doing? I'm doing all right. Just uh, trying to get through this storm like everybody else. Well, there you go. What was your method of shoveling today, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, it was a combination of a snowblower, a shovel, and a uh, not-so-willing 12-year-old. <laughs> oh, the, tw- the willing 12-year-old. Not-so-willing 12-year-old. That's exactly what you need, man. Sometimes a little manual labor, a little assistance is uh, just what the doctor ordered. I-, I will never forget unrelated, Mark. The Dolphins' last playoff win, which was 20-plus years ago, I remember I had to wake up at 8 in the morning to make sure everything was shoveled. So that game at 12.30, I was able to watch. Little did I know at that point in time, it'd be the last time I'd see my team win a playoff game. Kind of pathetic. See, I got spoiled. I grew up in the city, so I never had to worry about shoveling until I was about 30. So. Oh, wow. That's, uh, a, that's a harsh wake-up call at 30, bro. Very it much. is. It, you know, I never realized how much I disliked snow until I had, was responsible for moving it myself. All right, Mark, let's get down to business, shall we? Um, First off here, the Bauer market. Are you surprised with how slow moving it's been? I mean, now it's February the 1st, still waiting for Trevor Bauer off that great year to get a contract. Why has it been so slow moving? Well, I mean, I think the economic landscape of baseball right now has been pretty slow moving. We've still got, you know, more than 100 free agents. And, you know, even of the five big guys, that we were talking about all winter, uh, you know, two of them are still out there, right? We saw Real Muto and LeMahieu and Springer uh, sign, but two of them went back to the teams that they were with before. Springer went to the one team that was looking to, uh, you know, sort of get really aggressive on the free agent market in Toronto. But Ozuna's still out there and Bauer's still out there. And, uh, you know, Nelson Cruz is still out there and a few other guys. I think it's just, you know, you don't have that many teams looking to spend – uh, a lot of money right now. Bauer is a polarizing figure just in terms of, you know, he's got arguments that he should be paid on an annual basis, the same around the same as Strasburg and Cole, but obviously doesn't have the same lengthy track record. 
and isn't looking for the type of years. Um, but if he's really looking to get $35 million a year, he's going to have to, you know, he and his agents going to have to work to, to make that happen. Do you get the sense, Mark, that the Mets are the front runners to acquire Bauer? I would put them in the front runner category. That doesn't mean they're going to get him. I mean, I think the Dodgers are certainly in the mix. And I think, um, you know, there's still the possibility if he decides that he's open to taking a shorter term deal. And I'm not talking about a one year deal necessarily, but even a two year deal. I think that could potentially bring another suitor or two into the mix as well. And the one thing with Bauer, like when we look at, you know, big free agent pitchers, usually you're looking at a guy uh, at his age, you know, 29, 30 years old, who's going to say, I want a five-year deal. I want a seven-year deal, whatever it was. Cole got a nine-year deal. Bauer's a different kind of guy, right? He's talked his whole career about, I'm going to go year to year with contracts once I become a free agent. Now, coming off of Cy Young, I don't expect he's going to sign a one-year deal. But would it stun me, knowing that a CBA is coming next year, knowing that, you know, you're going to be hopefully in non-pandemic times after a year from now, uh, you know, would it stun me if he went out and signed a two-year deal, bet on himself again to go back on the market in two years? That wouldn't stun me at all. So if he's really willing to take a two-year deal, I think that could bring other teams into the mix as well. But right now, I would have the Mets as the favorite. Overall, how would you grade the Met offseason? Let's say Bauer does not sign. They get Lindor. He's a stud. They get Carrasco, who should slot in a two or three spot in the rotation. They add a couple of bullpen arms. But you had Met fans, Mark, and you know you hear this all the time. With Steve Cohen coming in, you know, I was taking calls back in November and December saying, we're signing this guy, we're signing that guy. Uh, we're going to act like the Yankees did back in 2009 or, you know, way back when, when A-Rod and Sheffield and all these guys are coming to town. I never really bought that was, you know, a realistic type of goal in the first year for this ownership group. So I'm kind of cool with where they're at so far this offseason. But in your eyes, have the Mets done enough, in your opinion, to kind of like vault themselves into that playoff contender type conversation? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just the fact that you've added Francisco Lindor, if they had done nothing else this winter besides that, it would be a great winter. I mean, you're adding one of the premier talents in the league and where people were were looking at, you know, oh, well, Steve Cohen's going to spend this, he's going to spend that. Remember, when you acquire Lindor, you're doing that under the uh, presumption that, that, that they're going to sign them long-term. So even though it only costs them some prospects right now, uh, it's going to cost them 300 million plus to keep this guy long-term. So, uh, you know, that's a big time economic uh, decision to make to acquire that guy with the eye on keeping him in the, in a Mets uniform for the rest of his career. Carrasco, I know he's 33 great, you know, really good pitcher. He will help solidify that rotation until Syndergaard gets back uh, midseason. And I like what they've done with the bullpen. I, I like, you know, Aaron Loop. I watched a lot of games he pitched in Toronto when I was still covering the Yankees. Trevor May is a really good pitcher. Um, you know, I, I think between DeGrom, Stroman, Carrasco, Syndergaard coming back midseason, this has the makings of a good rotation. Um, I think the Mets are, are putting themselves in position to be a real factor in the National League East. We got Mark Feinstein at MLB.com, MLB Network, trying to figure out what's going on with the remainder of this offseason. But Mark, from a Yankees standpoint, listen, I was overjoyed a couple weeks ago when they brought back DJ LeMayu. He's the perfect fit for the Yankees. The guy's been their best player the last two years. 
He puts the bat on the ball. He's their best clutch hitter. And I always was of the belief it was a matter of when, not if, he and the Yankees were going to find some common ground. Did you kind of have the sense all along LeMay was going to be back with the Yankees? Yes. I, I would have been very surprised if he had not been back. And I'll tell you why. I, I think he wanted to come back, first of all. right? He, he made it clear. He, he was comfortable here. He was happy here. And he wanted to come back. The thing that I kept going back to as these negotiations were dragging along was this. And this is from the 16 years I covered this team. When's the last time the Yankees had a free agent of their own hit the market who they really wanted to bring back that they did not bring back? I don't remember the last one, right? Robbie Cano, they didn't really want Robbie Cano back at the at the money it was going to take to get him. They made him an offer that looked really good, seven for 175, but they knew he wasn't going to sign that. Uh, so this way they could tell fans, we tried, look, we made him this huge offer, blah, blah, blah. But they knew if it didn't start with a 200, they weren't going to take him. Bernie Williams almost left. They, they, they did what they had to do to keep him. The Yankees don't let people go when they want to keep them. And I thought all along that they wanted to keep LeMahieu. He wanted to be there. And ultimately, the two sides would would work something out. The only way it was going to happen is if some team like Toronto had gone out there and just given him an overwhelming offer that Cashman and Hal just decided, look, we love DJ, but that's too much. Thankfully for them, that didn't happen. From a pitching standpoint, Masahiro Tanaka, and you know this well, Mark, your days around the Yankees, gamer, big game performer, and I know he didn't have a great postseason in 2020, but the numbers throughout the last four years or so were terrific. I look at Kluber and Tyon, I see the upside. Listen, if Corey Kluber is going to be the guy he was 2014 to 2018, you can make the argument he's a better pitcher than what you were going to get out of Tanaka. Jamison Tyon at $2 million, uh, he's got big-time stuff. Being around Garrett Cole could maybe get you know that much more out of him. But from a starting rotation standpoint, do you think the Yankees were better off going in the direction that they did Kluber, Tyon, or do you think they would have been better off bringing back old reliable Tanaka for more money? Well, I think that, you know, the difference obviously is that you're getting two arms essentially for the price of one. And if, if they reach their upside, they're both potentially better than Tanaka. Um, you know, I think that there are some people around the game who think Tanaka's stuff has diminished a little bit. And that as he continues to head toward, you know, into his mid thirties, um, you know, that's not going to get better necessarily. Uh, so I wasn't all that surprised that they moved on from Tanaka. Um, I was kind of surprised there wasn't more interest around the league in him. Um, although maybe he decided it was Yankees or, or go back home to Japan. Um, I, I like what the Yankees have done. I mean, Tyon's a really good young arm and obviously – uh, you know, he knows, you know, having been Cole's spring training roommate, I think there will be a comfort level for him coming into New York. Uh, and Kluber is a guy who, you know, has been a Cy Young winner and, and certainly has something to prove. And the thing about Kluber, of course, Eric Cressy is the Yankees director of strength and performance or whatever the title is. He, he's, he's Kluber's guy. He's the guy Kluber rehabs with and works out with. For the Yankees to sign him, Cressy must have told them he's back. He's going to be fine. They had a better idea of his physical situation than any other team because of Cressy's uh, employment there. So I, the, to me, it was if the Yankees sign Kluber, 
I think he's going to be back and physically fine. If they don't sign him, they do something. So I, I like the moves. From a Yankee standpoint with the lineup, listen, we know they got a ton of power. And I know it's very difficult to change the complexion of a team, Mark, that's been in the playoffs the last four years. And I know that's the point Brian Cashman's made. He's talked about it with Luke Voigt. Yeah, he's right-handed. How are we getting a better first baseman? But I feel like when you've watched them in the postseason, over the last couple of years, when they take on that elite-level right-handed starter, the righty-on-righty nature within the lineup, I think it's hurt them. I really do. And I think over 162, it's not going to be that big of a deal. They're going to be able to outslug. They're going to be able to get past certain teams. In the postseason, it concerns me. Do you have an issue with the Yankees continuing to roll out as you know right-handed a lineup as they have, where they basically have no lefty bats, unless, of course, they bring it back Brett Gardner? Which, incidentally, I fully expect they will do. I think, it's And they should. Matter. You know, you would not believe, Mark, the amount of Yankee fans who call me and say, they don't want this guy back. I'm like, are you guys crazy? The guy is the perfect fourth outfielder. He plays great defense. He's clutch. He knows how to be a Yankee. And they're not going to give him $10, $11 million, right? Like, he's going to be back $3, 4000000 million, give or take? Probably with some incentives, I would think. And look, there's also something to be said for a guy who is the longest tenured player on the team and and really sort of is that veteran in the clubhouse. He's, he's a big presence there. I can tell you that when some of these young guys came up, Brett Gardner was a big presence for them, uh, you know, going going forward. As far as the righty-lefty thing, I don't have an issue with it. I mean, I think, um, you know, if you look last year, the Yankees had an a 840 OPS or something against right-handed pitchers. Um, look, if you face the best pitchers in the game in October, you're probably going to not have the same numbers you did during the season. I mean, the Yankees, as a team last year, had better numbers against righties than they had against lefties. So I really have no issue with it. I think you you put the best players together that you can do. If it's ideal and you have a chance to, uh, you know, balance the lineup, even better. Um, and that's, you know, I think one of the overlooked parts of the Yankee dynasty in the 90s and early 2000s was just Posada and Birdie helped everything because they were switch hitters. And it really allowed them to balance that lineup without worrying about it ever. Uh, but I think when you have the type and the caliber of right-handed hitters, when you're talking about LeMayhew and you're talking about Judge and you're talking about Stanton, I, I just don't think you worry about it. Are you surprised, Mark, or did you see this coming as a guy who covered Brett Gardner from the early stages of his career to where he's become this sort of like elder statesman within the Yankee clubhouse? Did you kind of pinpoint him as a guy who might be that sort of dude, or were you a little surprised with that evolution over time? Uh, you know, early on, I wouldn't have said that I saw him being a leader because he was a very reserved, quiet kid who, you know, broke into a team that had Jeter and A-Rod and all these huge stars on it, and he just sort of sat back and listened and observed and watched. But you could tell as the years were going by, uh, when those guys, when, when the core four started retiring and and Herod left, and all these other sort of, you know, older Cano left, you could see him emerging into that respected veteran, you know, sort of elder statesman on the team. Uh, and Brett's a lead-by-example guy. He's not the guy who's going to get in your face and give you a rah-rah speech. He's not the guy, um, you know, who's going to show somebody up, but he's a lead-by-example guy. And he really, you know, he came up through the Yankee system, 
Um, and I think he, he sort of exemplifies what the Yankees want their players to be. He's a really good guy for, for Aaron Boone and, and Brian Cash to be able to point to and say, see that, that's, that's a Yankee. Go do what he does in terms of how you conduct yourself and, um, you know, carrying yourself on and off the field. And like you said, still a good player. You're not, you're not resigning him with the intent of playing him 162. You're going to, you know, let him be a fourth outfielder. If somebody's hurt, he can fill in anywhere in the outfield. Uh, he can pinch run. He's, uh, you know, good lefty bat off the bench. I think, you know, Gardner fits this roster very well. I had you on when your book came out, which I love, by the way, Mission 27. I uh, wanted to ask you this, and it's randomly coming to my mark because we're talking about Gardner and all these years he's been on the Yankees. When was the moment for you? And that team now, you think about it, they take on more and more of an appreciation within the Yankee fans' heart and minds because it's been such a long time for Yankee fans. feels like a uh, millennium, you know, years upon years without them winning a title. And 09 is that team to do so. Otherwise, we'd be looking at 20-plus years without a Yankee title. But for you, as someone who was around that team day in and day out, when was the moment for you when Mark Feinstein went into work and said, I think this team's winning the World Series? Well, I mean, obviously they had signed all those guys in the offseason with Sabathia and Teixeira and Burnett. Uh, they brought in Swisher, and you were like, you know they have the talent, but the first couple months was uneven. Um, I, I point to the same night that, that most of the players pointed to, which was the night in Atlanta when Cashman came down, laced into them. They looked dead for the first five innings, and then uh, Cervelli hits a big home run. Girardi gets tossed from the game, and they just sort of looked like a team that had had enough of of the nonsense. Uh, they won this really dramatic game, and then they went on this big run after that and really seized control of things. Um, you knew if they stayed healthy, they were the best team talent-wise. But as we've seen, talent doesn't always result in you – know, having the best talent doesn't always mean winning in October. But that team just – there was something about it. Sebastian wasn't going to be denied. And the fact that A-Rod started hitting in the postseason. Um, but I look back at that. That came in late June in Atlanta. Um, that was sort of the day that I, I remember saying to somebody the next day, you know, I feel like we're going to look back at this series at the end of the season and say, this was sort of a turning point, And then little, you know, at the end of the season, that was the one that everybody pointed to as sort of the turning point for that year. Mark, final one. I appreciate the time. AOE is going to be fun. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. You got Tampa. Who's always the threat. They were in the world series last year. I get it. No Blake Snell, no Charlie Morton. But they find ways to churn out new talent. Then you have the Toronto Blue Jays. They don't have pitching, but they add George Springer. They add Marcus Simeon to an already loaded lineup. Who's the bigger challenge for the Yankees in 2021? Well, you know, I always look at these things, and you have to think, like, the team that we see going into the season doesn't mean that's going to be the team that that really challenges the Yankees or that the Yankees challenge, uh, you know, conversely, come uh, you know, come July or August or September. Remember that year that the Blue Jays looked like they were going to be tough, and then all of a sudden, before the deadline, they go out and get Tulowitzki and Price and all these guys, and and they just there were you know a train from there. Um, I think the Blue Jays are probably the biggest threat. Um, I think their pitching's better than people give them credit for. I thought Kirby Yates was a really good signing. Uh, you know, Ryu was tremendous last year. Robbie Ray is a, is a good bounce-back candidate. Steven Matz is a good bounce-back candidate. I know some things have to go right, but they've got some talent there, and that lineup's going to be just 
lethal to deal with. So um, the Rays, Snell and Morton, losing those guys is really tough. I don't ever count them out because Eric Neander is one of the best GMs in the game. Um, but this was going to be really impressive if he can get this team to, to win the division after getting rid of his two best pitchers. Mark Feinstein, check him out, MLB.com, MLB Network. Always enjoy the insight, the perspective, and uh, I'll be sure to remind Rich Gannon, Mark, in about an hour of his great days with the Washington football team. Now, I have to be honest, I totally forgot about, because when I think Rich Gannon, I think Kansas City and I think the Raiders, if we're being fair. Well, of course, he only played one year with Washington. It was but, one uh, year, and then he played in Minnesota, too, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, yes, he, uh, he was in Minnesota, but, you know, there's been a lot of quarterbacks on my team for, uh, since the last Super Bowl. Well, let me ask you right now. 2021. Sorry, I'm doing this to you. Who is the Washington football team starting quarterback if Mark Feinstein's the GM? Well, if I'm the GM, it would have been Matt Stafford, but that's no longer possible for us. Uh, I don't think they pay up what it takes for Watson. I think they either uh, – I think my, my guess is they go into the season with Kyle Allen – and uh, Taylor Heineke and, and Alex Smith make they let him compete. Maybe they draft somebody to try to groom underneath them. You don't want the beard. You don't want Ryan Fitzpatrick. No Fitzpatrick oh, in DC. No, 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 no. You'll no. pass. I'd, I'd rather see Heineke or Allen and give them a chance to, you know, see if they have have anything any anything that it takes to to play in this league before I bring in another guy in his mid to late thirties. Been there, done that. I get it. All right, Mark. Thanks a ton, man. Enjoy the snow. You got it, man. Take it easy. There you have it. That's Mark Feinstein over at MLB.com. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 